to Digital Transformation with Jack Marr and Jay Mata. Digital Transformation is about so much more than technology. It's about refocusing on people and value. It's about leveraging technology to build more meaningful relationships and enabling and empowering our associates, building engagement and giving them the tools and opportunity to do what they do best and even do it better. It's about culture, relationships, and tools that can unlock customer obsession in an organization. It drives innovation and responsiveness that propels your organization and delights your stakeholders, creating and building relationships founded on value, creation, and delivery. So welcome to the second episode of Digital Transformation. Today, Jay, we have really got a a couple of great guys. I really enjoyed these conversations with Andrew Kingery. You may remember him from Whitestone Consulting and his 20 laws that govern value creation. I love Andrew. He's great. Yeah. And Farouk Ali, who demonstrates the concept of values and his focus on enabling funding and fundraising around music and arts in schools. And what a great story he had for us. Yeah. And they were, they're both so similar as far as their outreach to the community, but you know, what they were doing and the way they're approaching it was so different. So it was pretty cool to be able to wrap your head around it from that perspective, Jack. With that said, let's bring on our first guest, Andrew. Let's do that. I know that your primary focus in your consulting practice is value, right? Yeah, that's right. So, um, and first, I'm, I'd like to say I'm excited to be here and to help other people hear and learn from the mistakes that I've made in the past and what I've used with other clients and what I see with other clients. I would say the way to describe what I'm about is I want people to be intentional about value creation, intentional about creating exchanges of value with their customer or creating exchanges of value with their employees or shareholders. And one of the things that I would say was the motivation for this type of thinking and and my life work, so to speak, was I saw a lot of people doing great work inside organizations. Human beings are just really good at doing work and they love to do things and they love to do things very well. What I noticed was that sometimes we were spending so much time on product attributes or project attributes or the internal aspects of an organization that we forgot to link it back to creating value for the end user or the customer. And I like to think this applies here because I think digital transformation is a lot about customer value. It's about customer. Most certainly is. But kind of give us an idea. So when you're with a client and a client has bought you on as a consultant, what's that day look like or what's that process look like when you're working with them from inception of the agreement to work together to, okay, here's exactly what I'm going to do for you. Sure. One of the things that we first start off with is really understanding where and how and whether leadership is really aligned on what value is and what customer value is. And a lot of that is, it sounds obvious. You're like, come on, Andrew, everybody's aligned. Well, that's true, but not necessarily. I think one of the studies that I would cite is MIT Sloan did a study of about 4,000 executives and middle managers, and they found that only 28% could articulate the top three strategic initiatives of the organization. So that's what I mean when, it's, when we talk about are we aligned to value. It's really getting into a deeper understanding of, of that alignment across the leadership team. And then from there, we really go back to understanding customer and we really understand who is our customer. And we really go back to trying to make sure that 
we have a great understanding, a deep understanding beyond the obvious of where the customer's actually going and what they're trying to accomplish and what problems or challenges might be in their way. And then we go back to talking about and building plans to make sure that what we do from a selling strategy, what we do from an innovation strategy, what we do from marketing and branding, what we do from a strategic planning process links to helping those customers gain on goals that they have or solve problems in the way. As a for example, a lot of folks like to use the word continuous improvement. We do a lot of continuous improvement around here. And my challenge to that is, that's great. And I used this recently in a group of executives that I was with. I said, but we can all make this carpet in the office continuously improve. And it's going to be the best carpet we've ever seen. And it's going to get better and better over time. But the reality is we're not going to capture any more value from the market by doing that because our customer doesn't see it. And it doesn't help our customer gain on a goal or solve a problem in the way. So those are the types of things that we really get into because we get, as humans, we're so good at doing things. We often get distracted with what we're doing and we forget who we're doing it for. Do you work more with the middle management trying to make sure they're getting the message from top down? Who do you normally work with at, at that company level? We have to start with the top. It always starts with the top. And especially with existing organizations, uh, the leadership team is not immune to doing things and getting distracted from the customer as well. It's just very common that we see that as well. What's the, what's the ideal, type of, ideal type of industry that you work within that, yeah. that you really focus on that people are going to need your services? Yeah, what, what I'm really doing a lot of work on right now is construction and targeting healthcare as well. So we're working on healthcare and construction. Um, and the reason for that is essentially we're trying to go where change is real. And if you look at the labor productivity curve in the construction industry, it's been flat for a long time. But now all of a sudden we have these new technologies that are coming online, such as LIDAR, a lot of drone and high resolution measurement technologies and things like that that are bringing into play here things that could really change the game. And obviously healthcare. We all know about our patient experiences within healthcare and how those have kind of essentially fallen behind what we expect when we interact with other industries. So those, I feel, are two industries that are poised for strong change and good pivots. So those are kind of how we decided to focus on those entities or those industries. Follow-up question on that is, so when you're working with these industries, is there, a, is there generally a minimum size group of the company, like maybe 50 employees or less, or, you know, what's your, is there a threshold that you work with? Typically what you would see is if the organization is a startup, they're very good at creating value. No, they wouldn't be there. They've got the value proposition. Everybody is super connected with the customer and the resources are tight. So when they make decisions, it's all about how will this affect our customer? When you get into teams that are a little bit beyond startup, and I, I would say it's not necessarily about size, it's about maturity and where they are in the maturity process. So if you look at a small company that's been around for a long time, things in their category or in their consumer have probably shifted over time. And if they've been successful, they've probably been doing what they've been doing for a long time, and now could be a good time for the leadership team to say, hey, we want to adjust. So if you look at the type of company, it's probably someone that's more mature and that's been around for a while. Um, it could be a small company that wants to pivot and wants and recognizes they want to change and grow and create more value in the market. Or it could be a very large organization who says, look, we've been doing this for the, the same way for a long time, and we, we're now afraid that somebody's going to come disrupt our category, and we want to get ahead of it. So how do we do that? So do you provide the roadmap, and also do you provide the implementation to that roadmap also? 
Yeah, that's true. One of the things that I'm really keen on is human behavior. So we do roadmap or playbook as well as implementation. And I think that's important because, as you know, the reality can often differ from the playbook or the roadmap. And then when it does, how do you interpret that? And so making sure that we move beyond just, hey, here's a playbook client. Here you go. Have a nice day. We move more into, here's the playbook. Let's co-create it together. And now, how do we implement and we'll stand beside you while you implement to help you get the value that we're expecting to get. And that's important because when things happen with an employee or a conflict among leadership, you know, how do you interpret it? How do you get people to move through that and get to the point where the human behavior is actually what's changed within the organization? And that's where we see the real, real value being created. I couldn't agree with you more, Andrew. The whole idea of digital transformation is really to recenter and focus on value and values and people. And you know, one of the things, in fact, I just posted a blog this morning about value streams and value stream mapping. And I was with a client last week talking about value stream mapping, and they basically said, "Yeah, those are great, but we don't do them. They're they're too much work, and there's too much to maintain." And I thought that's really instructive that you're saying that because what it means is is that you you really don't know how your value and when and where it's being created and delivered from a customer's perspective. It's certainly an old tool. It's been around for years from the Lean Toolkit. Is that something that that you're using? Uh, Very similar tools uh, like that. There's a lot of, I I would just build on your comment there. One of the things that I've discovered as well through the past about 12 years of research, over 90% of people within an organization are unable to explain a process for how value is created. And so it kind of goes back to what you're talking about. People naturally are often not good at being intentional and deliberate about creating value. And I think a lot of those distractions come from we've focused on the task or the assignment and we do it through our own lens rather than also using the lens of those that we're serving or our end user or our shareholder or our board of directors or our leadership team or our employees. And I think it's very important that people, as they go through this process, learn that value is a process. Value creation is a process and you can do it. And in fact, I've come up with 20 laws that are associated with creating value so that it helps people make it more easy, more tangible. And it really focuses a lot on the human behavior side of things so that people can say, oh, you know, now that you see this, okay, I I can be more intentional about conflict and I can be more intentional about linking my work to the goals or the problems that we're solving. I can be more intentional about understanding the trade-offs that I'm asking my customer to make when I say, here, use this instead. And so that's what we do a lot of as we as we come into an organization. It's not just understanding that maybe a customer journey or where people are going or understanding customer segmentation or understanding a value stream, but it's also helping people understand, okay, anytime you're asking someone to change behavior, to create value and give you resources in return. Here are the things that you need to be paying attention to. And if you don't, there's going to be a consequence. It's up to you to decide whether or not the consequence is acceptable. 
Right. Yeah. You actually touched on a lot of really good stuff in there. When you're asking someone to do something or do something differently, they will have a question in their mind, whether that it comes to the conscious mind or not, is what's in it for me? And the more you can help them answer that question, the better it's going to work out because you want to make sure that they are aware of what's in it for them. And there has to be something that is in it for them. And as far as the value, a lot of folks get really hung up on what they're doing. And you talk about process and their eyes sort of glaze over. But in my experience, what you're saying is exactly right. That You would think that senior leaders would really know what happens in that value stream, but they rarely look at it from the customer's perspective. And when we look at startups and we look at companies that are high-performing companies, they're almost always customer-obsessed. And mm-hmm. so if you have that lens of what does this mean to my customer? Am I listening to my customer? Having the feedback loops that come from the marketplace, from your customers, and you're able to respond based on that and continue to make adjustments based on actual feedback, not just what you think it should be. Those are the folks that we see absolutely disrupting their markets. So in terms of getting this going for folks, What's the best way for them to get a hold of you so they can talk to you about what they're doing and and see if it makes sense to engage your services? Yeah, one of the easiest ways you can do is a a lot of folks like to head over to our website at wscg.consulting and you can connect with us there and you can get access to my calendar and you can schedule a quick meeting, 15 minutes, half an hour, an hour, and we we can jam on the topics a little bit more. And the, the first meeting is a free consultation. Absolutely. Kind of thing. Absolutely. I always want to diagnose before I prescribe, and diagnostics are <laughs> always free. Great. Well, thank you very much for joining us today. I think this is a really valuable conversation, pun intended. And I think that a lot of folks would really do well to make sure that they really have their eye on the ball when it comes to the value they're creating and when and where they're creating it, because that's how you can also find where you're not creating value and realign your resources so that you're directly in alignment with your mission and vision. Yeah. Thank you so much. Do you guys mind if I share two of the laws, uh, at least, that that might help make it a little bit more tangible and get into some nitty-gritty details? Is that acceptable? Sure, please. So the, the first thing, the first law that I'd like to share is the law of linking. The law of linking says to the degree that your work is linked to helping another individual gain on a goal or solve a problem in the way is to the degree that you will create an exchange of value with them. So again, it's the law of linking. Another law is the law of conflict. The law of conflict says that value is never created without conflict. At a minimum, value creation always involves a conflict with the status quo. However, it's usually much larger than that. It's usually a conflict with what someone else is owning, what someone else is doing, what someone else is most proud of. So I think we have to figure out how we're going to, as creators, be very good and adept at navigating conflict. And so to the degree you look for and search and find those conflicts and plan ahead and navigate them appropriately is to the degree you will be successful at creating an exchange of value. That's very cool. Very cool. Andrew, I really appreciate, you know, as a, as a professional salesperson also, I, pre- I appreciate the dedication you put into your work here. And you can, you can obviously tell that comes through big time. So, that's, so yeah. congrats for that. Well, thanks, guys. Getting the right message to the right people can be hard and expensive, especially with Google AdWords and Facebook advertising. We can help you leverage LinkedIn with their best demographic data on the planet 
to laser focus people who are probably looking for you. We can help you or even do it all for you with a full range of profile and activity campaigns that bring results guaranteed. Click on the LinkedIn expert button below or reach out to us at standingonshouldersmedia.us. That was great, wasn't it? It's very easy to understand. Very clear. Right. Uh, Andrew really brought that one home. So let's hear next from Farouk. So the genesis of my story with FoodRaiser really begins back in elementary school in Parma, Ohio. I went to Green Valley Elementary and a very kind person donated some guitars to our elementary school and a music teacher asked the class if anybody would like to take one home for three months and practice and bring it back so that the next child can have it. So I raised my hand, I got a guitar and I've been playing ever since. How long did it take you to really start to pick up that knack? I mean, was it a natural thing for you? Oh, not at all. When I first started, I couldn't hear one note from another. I mean, I was terrible. And for like two years, you know, my friends you know, got angry at me for not being good. So I kept practicing <laughs> <laughs> and I got better and better. And so uh, by the time I was 17, though, I started being able to play some really good blues leads. And people were kind of amazed that uh, an Indian guy could play blues like the way I do. <laughs> what, what, uh, what part of India are you from? I was born in Hyderabad. Okay. It's like the central part of India. Okay, yeah, yeah. My family's from New Delhi. Are, are you a professional musician now? Um, no, not at all. I did play in a band when I was in college. Maybe the potential to be, but I have too many other things that I need to be doing. But it is a great interest of mine, and that is why I created Food Raiser, is to help promote art and music programs in schools and in general. Is it called Food Drive? No, Food Raiser. Think of the word fundraiser instead yep. of fundraiser. If you're fundraising with food, it's just Food Raiser, F-O-O-D-R-A-I-S-E-R.com. Got it. And so how is that relevant? So when someone hears that name Food Raiser, how does that, and this is where I'm trying to connect the dots that you can help our audience and me, um, how does that become relevant to the, the music side of everything that you, you talk about? I want to do fundraising with food, and so I call it Food Raiser. <laughs> And I want to raise money for art and music programs. That's the primary goal. But really, it's a platform that any nonprofit can use to raise money from. For instance, it could be used by Red Cross, Heart and Lung Association, Kidney Foundation. It's really an unlimited possibility. When you're actually raising money for the arts, if you would, you're using yeah. food. So are you actually, so the food, is the food being donated and then it gets sold and then it goes back to the art? So can you paint that picture for us? Yes, I also own organicsandmore.com. Okay. And so there is a gentleman who has currently five warehouses around the country, and he has 15,000 to 20,000 products like Kashi cereals, Newman's Own, salad dressing. I mean, you name it, he's got it. And he acts as a drop shipper for me. So the portal is organicsandmore.com. People will buy food through organicsandmore.com, and then it gets shipped directly to the person's home or office, wherever they want it shipped. And 5% of the money, the gross, minus shipping and taxes, will go towards the entity that's doing what I call a food raiser. 
So let's use a school system like Olentangy's school systems as an example. Say they have 10,000 kids. I know they have more, but if each kid sells, say, $100 worth of food, that's a million dollars. So 5% would be $50,000. There's really no faster, more efficient way for them to do fundraisers. So when the 5% gets donated, though, that goes to whatever arts organizations that you to support at that time, right? Yes. Got it, got it. So that can be anywhere USA. Yes. Based on the amount of sales that are made of that, then 5% of those sales then will get distributed and you'll allocate 5% of those sales to whatever organization. Yes. Got yes. it, got it. Okay. And, and how do you find that in today's world, being in the competitive nature of not only being in business, that you're able to keep that core base of people to continually wanting well, to consume your products too. So you obviously are doing great work by the give back. So, so congratulations for that. And thank well, you for thank that. You. Actually, there's a very big need out there. I was at a Starbucks and this lady was sitting and working on a computer next to me. And so, you know, I just started chatting her up and asking her what she's working on. And she said that she represents a nonprofit that wants to eliminate the death penalty in Ohio. And I said, oh, great. So I started telling her about Food Raiser and I asked her, how she does her fundraising. And she says, well, it's very difficult. We have a hard time doing that, but we have 10,000 people that follow us and they give us money from time to time and that's how they keep afloat. So as I got into Foodraiser and I explained to her what I just did to you about how she can send an email to those 10,000 people saying she's going to do a Foodraiser, please buy food off organicsandmore.com. 5% of it will go towards our nonprofit. And first thing she asked me is, how much is it going to cost me? I said, cost you? I said, why would it cost you anything? We're trying to raise money for you, not take money from you. She goes, well, everybody else charges me money before they you know, start the program. And I said, well, there's no fee for, for me. I said, I'm either successful for you or I'm not. And so she was amazed. And she's like, when, when can we do this? How do you track who came from where? Is, is there like a link or anything? That's part of what I'm going to have in the back office. Yes, we'll have it so that when the people who are supporting whatever particular nonprofit will know that it comes for that nonprofit. And also, I'll be sending out receipts to a designated person in that nonprofit. Or you could even be multiple people in that, that every time someone from their organization that they have sponsored purchases something, a receipt will be sent to that organization automatically as soon as that transaction is done. So they can actually keep track of it as well. You know, the, the process is always audited. Everything is easily, any information is easily attainable. I mean, I'm here to do good, not to hide anything from anybody, so... Some of the stuff I know that you have in place already and have proven this out, some of it is still in process and it will be an ongoing evolution. I am still in the process of building the websites and okay. you know, producing all this. And really, as with most companies, when they're starting out, money is the issue at this point. But I had it all set up previously with another vendor, but that vendor was not the quality that I wanted. So I broke okay. everything down fact that you've already prototyped and, and it's very mm -hmm. common for prototypes to not be what ends up in production. I mean, the whole idea is just to prove the concept. So prototype, proof of concept, you know, we've, we've done this before, but now we're in an incubator stage to put it into a production quality environment better in some respects, because not only do the kids not have to go out and deliver this 
stuff like they would if they were selling cookies or candy or popcorn, but it also is delivered right to their home. So it's also very convenient in addition to all the other benefits. And we think we'll be ready to start executing on that by the end of the year, it looks like. I mean, it's basically, it's not really too complicated. And the kids don't have to deliver anything or handle anything. They don't have to handle any money or packages or anything. They and just that fully to... auditable back end, you know, there's a lot of opportunity to grow into other areas as well. For example, I think you had mentioned to me when we chatted before about different vendors and being able to integrate with affinity programs. Yes. And also... I got an idea from somebody who works at a food bank and say some people don't want the food, but they want a tax write-off for the donation. I can't do that because I'm a for-profit company. What we could do is, is say somebody buys $100 worth of food, the 5% is going towards the school, but the food could be donated to their local food bank and then they, the food bank will give them the tax benefit. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Uh, Jay, that ties into the uh, Smart Columbus and the opportunity to integrate services through their open data platform uh, to be able to make sure that the right folks get the right information in a timely way and can connect the dots for the underserved. Doesn't it, and doesn't it though? Yeah. It definitely seems like it ties into that. You're, you're right on on that. It's pretty creative, you know? Absolutely. And, and really, I think part of the key to this, too, from the technology perspective, what Farouk is really doing here is leveraging a number of digital tools to go from the broad brush approach that you know has been the case in the past with a lot of physical transitions and transactions by using you know the websites and the back end. And integrations. Uh, he provides that full auditable trail and also is able to integrate this into the way people live and work and provide the right data and transparency and self-service uh, in a way that, that everybody wins and everybody can see what's going on. This is the ultimate way you manifest by talking about it right now. Like what you're We doing. need to get this out in front of folks. Yes, what we want to do is we want to position folks for this. So I would realistically like to say, say three months. By the end of this year, uh, Organics and More will be ready and available to execute on your food raiser concept that yes. will enable folks to get the foods that they normally buy through a reputable source and enable the proceeds to go as a fundraiser to you know the, the charitable organization or school or other nonprofit entity um, while getting that stuff shipped directly to them. Yes. I mean, I'm pretty confident because, like I said, everything is ready to go. Uh, I, I appreciate your time. This is super exciting. We don't get to talk as often as we'd like to about some of the great things people are doing. Thank you very much for doing this and uh, really hope that you're able to see at some point the kind of result that you saw as a kid that you'll put a guitar into another kid's hands. And who knows, maybe he'll become the next Jimi Hendrix. I am very excited about that prospect. Yeah, very cool. Yeah, <laughs> nice, nice, nice to meet you, man. It was, it, was my, it was a pleasure to talk to you today. Yes, sir, Jay. Thanks, thank you. Nice to meet you as well. And Jack, I'll keep you up to date as to my progress. Please do. Yes. Thanks for. Thank you. Standing on shoulders: A leader's guide to digital transformation, written by Jack Marr and Carmen Diardo. On behalf of everyone who tries to improve the business outcomes of the technology work we do every day, I applaud the efforts taken and the writing of this book so others can replicate their amazing outcomes. 
This book fulfills the promise of documenting their journeys and lessons learned and showing how the promise of creating world-class technology organizations can be within the reach of everyone. Gene Kim. Get your copy of Standing on Shoulders, A Leader's Guide to Digital Transformation at Amazon.com or at Barnes & Noble or at your favorite bookseller. I really liked about our conversation with Andrew is the 20 laws of value creation. And Andrew is going to share two of those laws of value creation each episode for the the next 10 episodes. And I'm really excited about that because it's really interesting and it really does highlight value and what we can do to increase the value that we create in our organizations. Yeah. And it's pretty innovative thing for him to come up with. You tell the guy's really serious about his profession. You could really get that vibe from him. No doubt. You know, he put 10 years of research into that, and you can tell the passion is there. It just exudes from him as he talks about value and really wanting to help people with that. And so I hope uh, he'll have the opportunity to do that. I really like the way Baruch is demonstrating his values with what he's doing in, in creating value. A couple of really great guests there, Jay. I don't know if we're going to be able to keep this up for episode two. What do you think? I've got to keep pushing through it, man. I think we will be able to keep it up. Yeah, I'm sure of it too, actually. We're going to talk with James Brunig and Hoda Alshami next. And every one of these episodes, I, every time we do it, we think about it, we talk about them. I'm like, that's my favorite one. Oh, yeah. No, wait a minute. That's my favorite one. Great episode we're coming up on. And we hope that everybody will come back and join us for an episode on business agility. I think they're going to really like this. Thanks, Jay. And thank you to all of you for sharing this with us. See you again here real soon.